it's a good measure of your authority to see how long it takes for people to quiet down when you stand up and talk, apparently. <laughs> I got trouble with that department. So I'm using um, my computer. And the reason that I'm using my computer is because I didn't print it before I left home. But I have a printer, and that's the story that I want to begin with. So if you've been to previous glorias, and I've been here, I start with a story. Usually it's about, like I tell a story about my kids, like each one has their own story. And there are copious stories that I can tell, like Emily when she was like three or four, <laughs> she systematically hit, uh, hid her sister's underwear one pair of times, <laughs> playing the long game, right, for the la- waiting for the lab, and one day Sarah came, Mom, I don't have any underwear, and Emily's sitting <laughs> in the corner, and <laughs> but I'm not going to tell any of those. <laughs> this story, this <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if she peaked at three. <laughs> but, you know, we're still hopeful that maybe she'll, you know, get it. <laughs> uh, so, um, our printer died, and we said a prayer and buried it. But we needed another printer because the kids need to print things for school, and sometimes I need to print things. And so, we... Um, I've got a good deal on a printer. It's a printer. It, 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 it prints. It copies. It faxes. It scans. It slices. It dices. It makes thousands of julienne fries. <laughs> but it's enormous. It's big, right? But the problem with, with this thing, because it's so glorious, it's very big, right? Pastor Smith was talking about things getting bigger and more glorious. Well, this is a, a glorious printer, but it was too big for the space that we have. So, we weren't going to throw it away. We needed to find a cabinet or something to hold this so that it wasn't so garish looking right in our living room. Our computer sits right in the living room. So... Um, my beloved uh, got on the Craigslist, right? And she dialed up this big behemoth of a cabinet. And she said, this is what I want. It's beautiful. And it was like a really good deal. Y'all, I got to tell you, 60 bucks sounds like a lot of money. But when it's for something like this, 60 bucks was a, was a great deal. So we went and bought said behemoth. And that night, I couldn't even get out of my car. Sean, McGee, Sean, raise your hand. That's Sean McGee. Uh, he and his brother. <laughs> it, it's appropriate. He and his brother came over and they helped me wrestle this thing into the house. And it's beastly, right? It's a monster. So now we have this big garish cabinet in our living room, right? Um, to house the printer. Did you ever uh, hear or read the story if you give a pig a pancake? Right? You're going to end up, you know selling your house to the Indians for some reason. <laughs> that's not how it goes. But, that's, but you see, it's a progression thing. So what happened was with this big cabinet, suddenly our desk didn't fit anymore because the cabinet took up too much space. So I needed to make a desk for our computer. Something simple. Well, I have always wanted to make a piece of furniture out of um, like the plumbing pipe or some over in the... You know what I'm talking about? The steel pipe, you know, it looks really cool, and you know you put wood on it. It looks 
very minimalistic, but kind of industrial at the same time. Just go with it. Just go with it. And so I had to start building this thing. And this story just has no payoff, I promise you. <laughs> You're looking at me like, I'm just trying to tell you why I'm using my computer instead of paper. So when Pastor Booth builds something, he draws things and he has tools and he goes and he buys the materials that he needs and then he comes home and he cuts and does all the things. The way that I do it is I say, I need to build something, I'm going to Home Depot, right? And so I just take off to Home Depot. I'm like, yeah, one of these, one of these, one of these. You know, the guy comes up, can I help you? Oh, no. (laughs) I'm conspiring and I'm building and I'm in my mind. And then I get home and then I try to build it. And you know what happens? I have to go back to Home Depot. Are you laughing at my story? (laughs) Oh, you're the same? Oh, good, good, good. And so... Eight trips later, right, I go to Home Depot, and they don't have what I need. And so, like happens in most places, there is a Lowe's right down the way, right? So I leave Home Depot, I go to Lowe's, and I'm, you know, buying the parts that I need. And I'm really getting close to this. I'm home stretching it, right? And so um, I'm going, and I'm going to go pay for my stuff. And the, it's the self-register thing. You know, like I now work at Lowe's and Kmart and Walmart and all the other stores because I do the work for them. So I'm going to do my self-checkout, but it doesn't work because the computer's broken, right? Again, it has nothing to do with the story other than I have to leave that and go to the place where somebody else is so that they can ring it up for me. Lowe's has a policy, apparently, of buffing their floors to the point. (laughs) Right? Like, really slick. It's a home building materials place, right? You don't need shiny floors. Home Depot doesn't have shiny floors. Lowe's feels like that's their thing. We're pretty. We're the pretty Home Depot. We've got all... So our floor... Well, they're slippery, right? And so I go around the corner and I'm carrying a bunch of steel pipe in my hands, Right? And so I go around the corner because I'm going to talk to, the, to uh, Brittany and Bridget or whatever their names are. Who are not really interested in helping me, but I have no choice. And I go, and slippery meets gravity, right? And so I am six feet, four inches tall, and I weigh 200 and some extra pounds. And all of it went down really fast, like really, really impressively fast, like it was more than gravity. It was just like extra. And I go down, and I'm carrying steel pipes. Well, on these concrete floors, it sounds like somebody breaks into a cymbal factory, right? <laughs> and so the guy comes over to me, Daryl. <laughs> Daryl says, hey, man, are you okay? Do, do you know who Brian Regan is? In, in my most accidental but perfectly intoned Brian Regan voice, I said, I'm on the floor. <laughs> I'm not all right. And so, um, that has nothing to do with anything, but I wanted you to have a story to begin with so that we're all loose. And I know it's after lunch and it's warm in here. Pastor Booth got his coffee so he won't fall asleep. I got my coffee so I won't fall asleep. Let's do I want to start by praying. Our Heavenly Father, we are grateful that you have spoken the true word to us. 
that you are uh, not only to be believed, but you are believable. Uh, Father, we pray that you would uh, open our hearts to hear the message of faith this morning, this afternoon, and that you would expand our faith and cause us to strive for a deeper faithfulness. We pray this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to start off with asking for a tissue. Um, yeah, anybody got a tissue? Anybody got a... My kingdom for a tissue. Because otherwise I'm going to keep doing this, and it's going to be distracting for us. Anybody got anything? Let's go find me a toilet tissue or something. Yeah. Oh, look, never mind, never mind. Thank you. Yeah, I'm good. Okay, so I'm going to start. I'm going to start by reading what is um, uh, at least the first part of it, the most recognizable uh, passage of scripture, and then I'm going to talk for a little while. This is from John three. John is talking to Nicodemus. Or God, or Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, and this is from John 3. And he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. This is the word of the Lord. So I want to start, what I'm going to do is, this is not necessarily a natural progression, like you're going to see that there's crossover in these different categories, but I kind of want to walk through different aspects of faith, of belief. And the first and most fundamental thing is that you believe, that you have faith, that you believe. And the implications of this are nothing short of ultimate, eternal. Uh, For those who believe, those who have faith, there is eternal life. Life forever. For those who do not believe, there is condemnation. Eternal death. So that's the eternal implication here. And there are also temporal implications or ramifications uh, to this that you believe. If you are a person who believes then the way that you live, the life that you live, will not only be in such a way that you're uh, towing the line and obeying the rules, but you are going to live as a person, uh, as as a human being, the way that human beings were designed to live, much of of what Pastor Smith was talking about earlier. C.S. Lewis says, I'm paraphrasing in maybe such a way that it's not really representative of what he said, but I think it's pretty close. He said that for the person... Who, has, who believes, when they get to heaven, they will find that they have always been in heaven. For the person who does not believe, when they get to hell, they will find that they have always been in hell. Such is the way that, uh, that this manifests in the life that we live in our time. Belief, 
that you believe is the grid through which you interpret life, the universe, and everything. Who knows what that is from? Life, the universe, and everything. <laughs> We've got so much to talk <laughs> If you believe, it means that you have a set of assumptions about the world. You have a set of assumptions about the universe, about life, about everything. And you, you live your life through that grid, through that grid of belief, or through the grid of unbelief. The implications are staggering. It affects everything. Whether you believe or don't believe affects everything. But it's not just about believing something. Right? It's not just having a belief system. Everybody has a belief system. Everybody believes something. It is very much about what you believe. What you believe. The gospel message, the good news, and I'm sure that a lot of us, you know, we know this preacher tells us this every Sunday. Good. And I'm going to tell you now. The gospel is, in its rawest form, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is Lord of the universe. That is the content of what we believe. We believe that Jesus Christ is the Lord. He is the standard for truth. He is the standard for what it is to be a human being. Everything finds its being in Him. It is not left to us to decide or make up what it is we want to believe. We don't have the freedom as Christians to say, well, I'm going to believe this thing but not that thing, if they both happen to be represented as true in the Scripture. We're not free to make up what we want to believe. It's not just enough to have faith. It's to have faith in the right things. The substance of our faith has to be correct. George Michael. You remember George Michael? And you got to have faith, faith, faith. Right? Remember that? Faith in what? Every time I hear that song, I'm like, what are you even talking about? Faith. i gotta have, you got to have faith. And then after he says that, the next line is, Baby, right? I don't. It doesn't. I don't know where he's going with that. We're not free to just cobble together a system of belief on our own because it makes us feel good or because it helps us to make sense of the universe. Even though we are all desperate to make sense of life, we all want to have some way, some grid through which we can understand the world in which we are living, and the life that we are living. Now, in our case, we would say that we have the creeds, we have the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, the Athanasian Creed, and these are all summary statements of the substance of our faith. We look to them and say, this is what I believe. We say the Nicene Creed in our church every Sunday, and when we say it, we're saying this is the substance of what we believe. This is, this is a summary statement of everything that we believe, and everything has to line up with this. If the pastor comes in and says, well, I know that you know, the Creed says this, but this whole Trinity business, I'm kind of iffy, right? I don't, I don't know. Well, then that, that's a no. We're not free to just speculate beyond, uh, beyond the Scripture. We have the confessions. And ultimately, of course, the Scripture um, is our guide in what we are to believe. We, it is the substance of what is to be believed among us. God has committed Himself to us in writing. 
He says, this is who I am, this is who you are, and this is how you are to live as my people. Now, there can be and there must be disagreements uh, among good godly people because we're trying to wrestle with very difficult things. There are things in the Bible that are hard to understand. There are things in the Bible that I, I, I read the Bible pretty regularly. And uh, there are times when I'm, I, don't, I, don't, I don't get this. And I'll get the commentators down and this guy says this thing and this guy says this thing. And so I call Bill and what is it, Bill? And he says, I don't know. What about this guy? <laughs> That's not really true. I've never done that. But, uh, uh, but, uh, uh, but just because we don't all agree on every particular thing, we have to understand, we have to start with the presupposition that the Bible itself is true and is to be believed. The temptation in our time, it is a particular ten- temptation in our time, although I think it's uh, been true uh, in all times, uh, is to run the scripture through the filter of the cultural norms, the cultural standards. What does the world say? And then we take the scripture and we, we kind of run it through that and then we decide, well, this we can, we can get rid of some of the chunky bits that don't match, that don't fit through the filter, we can get rid of those things, the hard things, the things that don't line up. And what, what ends up happening is we do radical violence, not only to the scripture, but we do radical violence to our own souls when we do that. But the church is just riddled with people who are eager to say, well, the Bible doesn't really mean what it means. The Bible doesn't say that. Or if it says that it, it was said by people a long time ago who really didn't understand like we do. We must begin with the presupposition that the Bible is the vox dei, the voice of God, the verbum dei, the word of God, and that everything in it is true and is to be believed. Now, what this looks like when it doesn't happen, when it, when it goes off the rails, is we end up with what we have now in the culture wars. Rich Lusk said this a couple of years ago, and I think it's just one of the greatest things that I've heard in just so long. He says, the culture war... The culture wars are all about Genesis 1 through 3. What are the culture wars in our time? Evolution, abortion, homosexuality, sexual confusion, and all the rest. All of these are addressed in the first three chapters of the Bible. Genesis 1 through 3. There is creation versus something else. God either said, let there be, and there was, or there was some other explanation. The Big Bang met with Darwin, and they decided to make us. Procreation versus abortion and fruitless sexual union, which is what we see in uh, homosexuality and intentional childlessness. John Paul II, um, some years ago, said that we... Uh, live in a culture of death. Whereas God said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it and go make babies and tell your babies to have babies and so on and so on. Our culture is saying babies are bad. Babies are a liability. Babies will keep me from being happy. And so I don't want that. And so we've turned the dominion mandate, what God has said that we are to do, and said that's not what we want to do. And so we are at war with God's intended purpose for us. And so that you believe 
and what you believe, the substance of the gospel, the substance of, of scripture. And then, another part of this is with whom you believe. Who are you joined to? Who are you on this, to use the vernacular of about 20 years ago, who are you on this faith journey with? Who are you living your life with? Who, with, who are the people that you are joined to in this pursuit of, uh, of truth and beauty and goodness and righteousness and virtue and all the rest? The people that you are joined to, the, your church, the body of Christ, is where you find your identity in Christ. You are baptized into Christ. You are united to the church. And this church is, as imperfect as it is, to be sure, is where you find your identity. It's who you are as the people of God. When you are baptized, you are united to the people of God. You are united to Christ. And it is in this body that you find your identity. Which is to say that you find your identity, who you are, in Christ. And this is realized in and through your relationship with the church. We are not called uh, or, 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 or permitted to just run off and be solo Christians. I've heard people say that you can have a, as good a relationship with God on the golf course as you can with the people of God on Sunday morning. My favorite response to things like that is, hooey. It's a theological term <laughs> that means it's not true. You need the people of God. You need to be united to the people of God. So next, it is whom you believe. It is very interesting that when Abraham believes God, it's not that he just believed a set of propositions. He believed God. Listen to what we read in Genesis. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, for I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abraham said, Abram said, uh, O Lord Yahweh, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household shall help household shall be my heir. And behold, the word of Yahweh came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward the heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said, So shall your offspring be. And he believed Yahweh. He believed God. Not just the thing that he said, but he believed God. And what we know from Abram's life is that he would live this life that would be commended all the way into the New Testament. Abram believed God. Do you understand the implications? He believed what God said. He wasn't just saying, well, I'm going to live like this. I'm going to pick this one. I'm going to go with that one. These I don't like so much. So I'm going to just... Um, he believed the totality of what God had promised him. He was not distracted by the age of his body. He was not distracted by the things that, that, were, that were clearly evidence against what God had promised him. But he believed God. And it was reckoned to him, accounted to him as righteousness. We have... Um, a lot of our um, people your age in our area go to the University of West Florida. We have a, a little fellowship called Collegiate Christian Fellowship. And um, 
we were we just went through the book of James uh, this last semester, and I'm going to finish kind of by reading um, a part of James chapter two, and then I'm going to make a one statement that I hope if you if you remember nothing else apart from me falling down close that you'll remember this. In James chapter two, beginning in verse fourteen. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warm, be filled, without giving him the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith apart from works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. So you believe that there's a God. James says, good. Bully for you. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works. And faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. That's no small title. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body, apart from the spirit, is dead, so also faith, apart from works, is dead. Now there's a whole lot going on there, and I don't want to get into the debates about justification, whether it's by faith or works. Justification is by faith. But as Martin Luther said, it's not, we're not justified, uh, we are justified by faith alone, but not by faith that is alone. It, it is a, a, the kind of faith that, that is active. It's doing something. It's the kind of faith that, that, that gives the person who has no uh, coat and is cold. It gives them a coat. It warms them. It doesn't just say, ah, be warm, be filled. Here, you know, uh, have some nice words to fill your belly. That's, that's not, it's actually a doing thing. You actually provide for them what they need. Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him or counted to him as righteousness. A person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Here's the statement that I want you to hang on to. This is what I want you to grab on to. We've all heard the, um, uh, the, the phrase probably, uh, a profession of faith. They made a profession of faith, right? In, in Baptist circles, which is what I am, uh, was familiar with before, uh, a person would hear a message and there would be an invitation and they would walk down the aisle and they would say, yes, I believe. And that was their profession of faith. And then they would get baptized. And, and if, if, if you're a, a reformed Baptist, you would say that your baptism is your profession of faith. And there's all kinds of things going on there. But this, this phrase profession of faith, while not bad, is misunderstood. It's not just something that you do at a point in time. Here's what I want you to hear. Your life is your profession of faith. Your life is your profession of faith. By that I mean, you are declaring what you believe by the life that you live. That you believe, what you believe, 
with whom you believe and whom you believe are all evidenced by the way you live your life. At every moment of every day, you are acting according to your faith. Now, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. I'm just trying to point something out to you. That you are always doing what you believe will give you satisfaction. You are always doing what you believe is the right thing for you in that moment. Even if you know it's contrary to Scripture, in those moments, your faith is struggling. You are acting contrary to what you know is true. But you believe in that moment that there is going to be provided to you and for you some sense of satisfaction, some reward that makes it worth it. You believe the idol rather than God. Jonathan Edwards says, you always act according to your highest desire. Always. Your life will tell you what you believe. Your life will tell everyone else what you believe. And so to bring it full circle, your life will tell you that you believe or not. Your life will tell you what you believe or what you don't believe. Your life will tell you with whom you believe and the Bible will tell you whom you believe. All of this, all of this will be betrayed or revealed by your manner of life. Matthew 25 When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations and He will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and He will place the sheep on His right with the goats on His left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are my blessed, or, or who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. You were just living the life of faith. That's when you did it. Then those on his left, to those, who on, to those on his left, he will say, Depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. Then, uh, And these will go go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Let me encourage you. Let me urge you. Let me shove you into a life of faithfulness. Take what you believe and fan the flame. Cultivate what you believe in your life. Practice the virtues that you learn in Scripture. 
faith, hope, love, joy, peace, all the rest. Commit to practicing your faith. Commit to exercising your faith. Don't be passive in this life to just assume that because you go to church, everything is fine. Because you were baptized, everything is fine. Because you have eaten and drinking the bread and the wine, that everything is fine. Those things are for your good and they are to nourish you in the faith. But that's not the end. The end is Christ and faithfulness in Him. Grow in your faith. Cultivate your faith. Go from mere believing to actually living a life that is enlarged by belief. Let's pray. Father, we, we are grateful for Your Son. That He has made life possible to us and that He has shown us how to live. We pray that You would bless this, uh, this message and this time so that our lives would be a better reflection of Your glory. We give You thanks in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.